Welcome to A Walk in My Stilettos, an interview show of women who are sharing their stories of resilience, making a difference, and walking in their greatness. I'm your host, McKinney Smith. I can't believe we are hitting the two-year anniversary for the podcast. Resilience is my superpower. It's a celebration event for women to be inspired and learn how to strengthen their resilience muscle, own their stories, and conquer their fears. So come sit with the Faith Walkers community, a global community of women walking in a manner worthy of their calling in order to celebrate this two-year anniversary of the Walk in My Stilettos podcast, an evening of inspiring stories of resilience, self-care tips, discussions, and overcoming adversity, as well as human connection. And admission to this event includes a complimentary gratitude journal to help you practice healthier habits, build awareness, and strengthen your mental and emotional muscles. Please join us for the virtual event on October 8th at 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. You can reserve your spot at resilienceismysuperpower.eventbrite.ca. Resilience is my superpower. Walkers, thank you for joining us on the Awaken My Stilettos podcast, where we have conversations with amazing women that are letting us step into their shoes. I help women to strengthen their resilience muscle, own their stories, and conquer their fears so they can reach their goals. I get inspired when I see another woman succeeding, but what interests me more is her backstory and her mindset on how she got there. So today's guest is about to bless us with her testimony, and since you're already here, you may as well subscribe. Today, we have Sarah Nicole, the bird's papaya. She's a mom of three with one on the way, who loves cultivating powerful social media conversations around life and our experiences in it. Sarah is a body confidence activist, speaker, blogger, cover girl, and weekly podcast host, an advocate for body love, self-awareness, acceptance, and confidence after years of self-hate and a massive weight loss that she felt would solve her problems. Sarah shares her story to empower all ages to know they are worthy, beautiful, and capable of amazing things. And she's known for her journey of perseverance, mental health, body dysmorphia, and healing from diet culture, disordered eating, divorce, remarriage, and living beyond the body. So please welcome to the show, Sarah Nicole. Oh, hey. <laughs> hey. I'm thank like, you, yeah, that, that was a bit of a, like, divorce. <laughs> like, we've, we've gone through it. <laughs> and it only happened in, like, five years. <laughs> oh, Honestly, uh, what, what I love about women like yourself, you know, that come on and share your stories, you know, people look online and they see beautiful pictures and they see all these things, you know, the highlight reel. But what I mm. love to get into is how you got over your adversities, your resilience story. So when I list all those things, I'm like, as much as you've experienced all of that, you are still using your life and your story to inspire and to make such a huge impact. So thank you for that. Well, thank you. That's that's kind of what I uh, 
try and do. I think it's really easy for people to, you know, as humans, we do this, we make these snap judgments when we see a successful woman and just assume that things went a certain way for her. Or when we see somebody down on hard times, we assume how that happened or the circumstances around it. And I kind of like to crack open that egg a little bit and say like, well, here's the reality. And, and not to just derail people from, you know, maybe their thoughts or being a lot of people get really inspired when they're like, look, you were able to do all of this. And I was like, yes, but let me give you the 10 years where none of this was working. Like, let's talk mm-hmm. about that because I think that the backstory is actually the backbone of who we are and truly mm-hmm. the foundation in which good stuff can be built upon. You can build a really great structure of a life and it can still crumble down if you don't have that that foundation going, right? So Absolutely. yeah, I, I think that's why I kind of like to, you know, I'm known for my deep dives on literally everything. You can get me deep diving onto every friend's character on TV, but I, I just, I just think it's also, I just have one of those minds now where I just look at everything with, you know, a, a bit of a new perspective and and like to kind of look at all the facets of it. And I think it's really fascinating when we truly like get to know each other's stories instead of just assuming it by a snapshot. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that is the reason for this show. So I love to start the show with an icebreaker question because I believe that as women, we have all these different titles that we go by, Mm -hmm. but a title that is not given enough significance is our name. So I love to ask every woman that comes on the show, do you know what your name means? Yes. And I feel like it makes me like, I don't know. I don't, I don't love it and I don't hate it. My name means princess. (laughs) And I feel like everyone's like, oh, that makes sense. I'm like, I'm not that. Like, I'm not a princess. Like, I don't like, I'm not like a diva princess, but then sometimes I kind of am. So I don't know. I I do know that's the only definition of my name that I know the meaning is, is Sarah. I don't know (laughs) if there's anything more to that or sorry, is princess, but like that, that's it. That's as far as I've ever dove into my name meaning. So, I mean, it's beautiful that your name means princess. And I think it's, again, you talked about perspective before, right? Mm -hmm. Because there's, with all things, there's balance, right? So if you look at, you know, the positives of the meanings behind princess or what princesses, you know, they have a life where they're able to have certain things or do certain things that others Mm -hmm. may not necessarily be able to do, or, you know, they're, they're put in the spotlight to have impact or you know there's so many positives so you could flip that so every time someone says your name Sarah they're declaring those things to you I think I need to align myself with like the new version of a princess not the princess who gets rescued not the princess who gets trapped not the princess who's owned by her parents or her spouse or her partner or some future guy that she's mysteriously fallen in love with like I think I want to if anything I don't mind being called it because I would like to redefine what it means if anything but I think we've done a good job I think when I look now at some of the newer age princesses we're starting to see that narrative change a little bit right so Right. I don't hate it. Right. <laughs> <laughs> it's almost like the word influencer. When you hear the word princess, you all you yeah. immediately go like, ah, <laughs> such a princess. <laughs> it's used in such a negative way. So like, that's why I'm always like, oh man. But then like, same with like influencer. It's like such a legitimate job for so many women, especially it's such a, it, it was such a way for women to earn in unconventional ways. So of course it's going to be mocked and it's going to be, you know, ripped apart and kind of like, nose scrunched up at them and and whatnot but yeah like redefining what these things mean and what does it mean to have influence and what does it mean to be like a princess that doesn't that isn't caged that isn't held back and all of these things so yeah 
Right. Even like I think about even culturally, a lot of women of color, we will refer to each other as queens. Mm. And even in saying that, it's like affirming that, you know, you are royalty, that you are special, that you are all those things. So, you know, within your name, princess, it's like you said, just redefining and making it something that you are proud of. That way, every time someone says your name, you're reminded, you know, that, mm-hmm. that affirmation of, of who you are. Yeah. I, I was listening to your podcast uh, episode that you did with Koma Minhas. Oh, and love her. I, I was smiling because I, she referred to when she was on my podcast and I ask every woman what their name means. And she was saying how now that, you know, that's more important to her where her name came about and, yes. and what it means. So yeah, when she told me her name, meaning I was like, oh, dang, like, it was so beautiful. <laughs> I was like, it had so much depth to it. And I was like, oh, wow. Yeah, I love her. She She's she's such an amazing speaker. I'm glad that that's a connecting piece for you, too, or it's somebody you've talked with, because she's she's a special one. She truly is. She is a rare gem. Even as you're saying that right now, I've got goosebumps. She's a mm-hmm. rare gem for so many she reasons. Um, and I mean, I'll, I'll touch on some of the points later, but there was some things in your conversation that you had with her about her resilience journey and yeah. some things that you resonated with. So I will get to that shortly, but I would okay. love to know before you got to where you are presently, mm-hmm. you know, what did you want to be when you're a little girl? Because sometimes that kind of shapes who we either become or who we don't. I actually, as a, I would say a lot younger, I would say I lost it kind of around the preteen to teen years, but I always envisioned myself on some sort of a stage. And it's funny because at like, I didn't know what that stage was. And it's funny that I never did get to that point of like, oh, I want to be an actress or I want to be a singer. I want to, and I was actually in drama. I took vocal lessons for a long time, but I actually had really crippling stage fright. So a lot of these things didn't work out for me in the long run as I pursued them. But I did have this like deep desire to be on a stage, to do something. And I, and it never made sense to me, but it's now I get why it didn't make sense because what I would end up doing was a stage that didn't exist yet. It was a platform that hadn't really been built. And so it it was only in the last couple of years. And when I started doing public speaking and I stepped out onto a stage and I just had this moment, like, Oh my, it was almost like a deja vu Mm -hmm. where I was like, Oh my gosh, like I dreamt of this. I was probably like six or seven, but like, I actually believed this for myself, but now I'm here and I didn't even acknowledge that how deeply rooted that desire was. And so I had really lost that somewhere along the way. I had I had lost the confidence to do it or maybe got confused about it or talked myself out of it. Imposter syndrome is huge for me. Yeah. And uh, and so now it's really interesting sitting in a position, I mean, almost 30 years later that I'm having that dream and saying like, oh, wow, look at you're actually in a way on a stage on a platform just like you thought you might be and just like you kind of believe for yourself but never took the dream far enough to say like that's what I want to do I would never say it out loud and I would never acknowledge it with other people because if I said it out loud then I could fail so it was just this mm. just this inner thing that I always carried with me and so it was really special in the last couple of years that I kind of got to bring that out again and say like I actually did envision this for myself this actually was something that I could see but I just stopped believing for myself along the way. And now I just kind of 
you know, as we talk about a lot of things around confidence and self-love, a lot of times that we talk about it, like it's a be- you're a becoming, you're, you're becoming something, you're growing, you're birthing all of these things. And I'm like, I don't think that's it. I think for me, especially or my own experience, it's been a homecoming. It's been, mm. it's been coming back to who I always have been coming home to that person. And, and I realized that a lot more in conversations with my parents when they were like, we saw you for who you were. And then we saw you kind of lose that. And then there was like this shift where it's like you came home and you were Mm. back again. So for me, I almost feel like the pursuit of my own confidence to just be myself and to love myself was actually going back and coming back home to who I always have been, which included some of those early dreams. I have, I don't know why I've got so many goosebumps right now. So (laughs) your journey is exactly why I ask this question to begin with, because as children, you know, our imaginations are so vivid and Mm -hmm. our imaginations run wild. And then we have people constantly start to tell us as we get older, be realistic, or you can't do this, or you can't do that. And we start to limit our own imagination. We start to Mm -hmm. limit our vision. But as Mm -hmm. people, we think in pictures. So if Mm -hmm. we can't be able to be free to envision things and visualize and have these pictures and wild imaginations of what we desire for ourselves, then it limits what we go after and our ability to do things. So you even saying that it was like your homecoming, it was like, you went back to the subconscious vision that you had for yourself that, you know, the vision that you had for yourself as a child and you were able to tap into that. And that's what you were presently doing. I love that to pieces because there are so many women that come to me for coaching and it's, it's digging deep and even asking them to go back to their childhood imagination, the things that they really wanted to do or be or become before society or the world or other people outside influences impacted that or limited their beliefs. Yeah. And I feel on top of that too, a lot of times when we hear a lot of motivational speakers and they talk about, you know, chasing your dreams, they talk about it as if it happens like, and and sometimes they'll say it, they'll frame it this way. You just, you can just wake up and make that decision. You can go after and live your dream. You can quit your job. You can do all the stuff. And it's like, that's actually such a privilege to be able to do that. What an opportunity for some to be able to wake up one day, quit their jobs, chase their dreams. For a lot of people, that doesn't actually work like that. For a lot of Mm -hmm. people, the chasing of your dreams is like tiny everyday decisions that might build up over a decade to being able to finally one day get out of your bed and quit your job and chase your dream or or like not even chase your dream, but like step into it a little bit more. And so I feel like the one thing I've always tried to remind myself is like when we have conversations about, you know, chasing your dreams or like boldly going after the things you want in life, also acknowledging that like not everybody has the privilege to do that today. Like sometimes it's like the tiny little intentions and steps that we can do, even when it's not accessible for us to do it quite yet. And just kind of building into that. Like if, if we just every day made a decision to do one tiny thing that might lend Mm -hmm. itself to something that is in pursuit of our dream. That's just as valid as those who wake up one day, quit their jobs and go and do something entirely different. Both journeys are entirely valid. And I think that we need to hear more of like those stories too, and be motivated to understand that. I think that we definitely need to have more conversations around the fact that, you know, it, 
that is just as valid a conversation to have and just as valid a journey to take as somebody who, you know, immediately can snap their fingers and and go after things. And, and that if you fail in the way, or if you change your mind, like that's okay too. Yeah. I think it's important that you spoke to, you know, that there are some people that have the privilege of just saying, you know, you can go out and chase your dreams because Mm -hmm. there's that perception that, they do snap their fingers and make it happen. But all those people have this, I'm going to say unconscious confidence where they don't even realize the systems and the steps and the things that they have either had in place previously in order for it to happen quickly, or that they developed through habit and routine to make it happen. So, Mm -hmm. you know, there's people out here that would love to go after their dreams, but as a person, they still have to be developed. They still need to be able to learn how to focus on a thing. They still need to learn how to have the will to do a thing, you know, to be able to visualize what it is they actually want to be able to go after things in small steps, you know, working on themselves and the self-image and the confidence that they have within to do those things. So it's all a working progress. And sometimes there are people that already possess some of those things and have been strengthening their resilience muscle. And it may seem like it's overnight, but it's like they were doing things, but didn't realize that they were doing. So for somebody else, it could take years for them to develop as a person to become successful at the things that they want to go after. That's so interesting. Cause yeah, I've always framed it around like access and finances and like personal support and like kind of the systems that, you know, do lend themselves to certain people. But as you said that, I'm like, it's true. There's some people who might have access to all the different things, but aren't emotionally available for it yet. Maybe don't have the tenacity to kind of work through certain things. And like, that's okay. Like I love the story of Chris Evans. I don't know if you've ever heard this, but Chris Evans who plays Captain America in the Marvel movies, he actually was offered the role five times and he turned it down five times because he had crippling anxiety. So what he ended up doing is he continued to turn it down. And then finally he went to therapy and he worked through his anxiety about having to commit 10 years to something, multiple movies. This was a huge, it was a, it was a career choice and a life choice that was for a decade. And I, and I don't think many are faced with something that big. And he just kept turning it down, kept turning it down until he went and did the work Then he came back and he signed the Mm -hmm. contracts and he became Captain America. And I thought, I wish we heard more stories like this. I wish we understood that it's not just everybody has it all together. Everybody has the money and access. Everybody has the the mental health to kind of step into everything. There's a lot of work that gets done for a lot of people along the way. And that's why it's not just like one singular type of experience. It's so multifaceted for so many different people. Absolutely. But yeah, that was that was so good that you touched on that. I just, it, I that's such an unrecognized part of growth, right? And just like growing into yeah. yourself or growing into your dreams is is even growing within the the realms of your own maturity of certain things. And I don't know that I could have. I think I could have had access to everything that I'm doing now. And two years ago, five years ago, ten years ago, would not have the capacity or the emotional wherewithal to do it, like right. fully fully. Right. And and capacity is a a big word right now, especially in this season. You know, a lot of people are feeling Mm. overwhelmed with COVID Mm. and homeschooling their children and all these things. And I've been saying that entrepreneurship is a personal development journey. And (laughs) we evolve as we go. 
Mm -hmm. We come to this place of awareness where we realize what we do and do not have the capacity for. And I think it's beautiful right now, especially during your pregnancy, where you are learning to say no to things and learning to do the things that bring you joy and recognizing what you have the capacity for and what you yeah. don't. Yeah. And I think at the beginning of quarantine, I'm not going to lie, I was like stoked. I was like, I'm not traveling. I'm home all the time. Never on the road. This is going to be so good for me. And I was exhausted. Like I was literally so drained within two days and I couldn't figure it out. And I couldn't figure out like, I have all this time. Like, why am I not capable of doing all of this stuff? And it hit all of a sudden, like I was in the middle of like scrubbing toilets. Cause I was like that after like, look how much I'm going to get on top of my life. Like, like I'm like doing it all. <laughs> and I, all of a sudden I'm in the middle of it. And I thought I might have the time for this, but I do not have the capacity because we are in such a stressful environment. Like at that time, the pandemic was so new. We were, we were sitting in so much fear and sitting with so much new knowledge and new norms and not knowing like, is this two weeks? Is this two years? Is it 10 years? Like what is happening? There was a lot going on. And I think our stress levels were so high and to just break it down to being like, look at all this time I have, I'm going to get so much done. Time doesn't equal capacity. I still don't have all my laundry done. I still don't have the house in order and I'm home in it all the time, Mm -hmm. but I'm also managing my stress. I'm managing new norms. I'm managing, you know, my business and the fact that separate for a lot of people, And for traditionally what's happened in history before cell phones began to be part of our jobs and our lives, we clocked in and we clocked out. Like Mm -hmm. we went to work and then we came home. We might've mentally brought it home with us, but it wasn't the same of actually having access to us at all times. And when you are an entrepreneur, especially the separation between self and brand almost doesn't exist. You have to create boundaries and you have to find out where those lines of capacity are. And for most people, they find out when they burn out and then they're like, Oh, that's where it is. And so it gets really hard because especially when I know for myself, I'll say no to something when people are like, Oh, like I see like you're on your Instagram stories. I'm like, well, I'm still living a life just because I said no to something doesn't mean that I'm not, I'm not a human being or I'm like sleeping or I'm in bed or I'm doing like, no, like sometimes I just need to say no to stuff because I know where my capacity lies and I'm working really hard as I'm such a people pleaser. So I'm working really hard to like own my yeses and own my no's and, and honor them both, like truly honor them both. So that when I say yes to something, I show up with a full yes. And when I say no to something, I don't carry guilt about that anymore. And that I, and I understand that like, I don't have capacity to do it all. So why feel bad about trying? I'm going to say, I'm going to do the things that I'm good at, that I have capacity for that work within my boundaries. And that's what will lend itself the best to me and my brand and my overall. So at this year, that has been my biggest, the two words I've probably repeated the most are capacity and boundaries. Yeah. <laughs> 100%, 100%. I, I love that you sp- spoke to, you know, your ability to say no, because mm-hmm. I'm on this thing where I call it the empowered no, where you're okay with saying no to, you know, all the things that don't serve you because you know that it allows you the time, the headspace and the capacity to show up fully for the things that do align with your purpose and your goals and your dreams and your visions. Yeah. You, yeah. You yeah. spoke to so many <laughs> things yeah. there. Like hundred, like 
people need to talk about that more. <laughs> like, <laughs> it needs to be talked about more. And I don't know if anybody's updated their phones right now. If you have an iPhone, it just updated oh, yeah, to the iOS good. 14. Yep. Yep, All of a sudden, it tells you these new metrics about how much we're using our phones and what we're yes. actually using them for. So yep. yesterday, in my head, I had done an entire day of emails and work. What I actually did was picked up my phone 109 times. I spent six hours and 12 minutes on Instagram trying to reply to DMs and comments. Normally, I'm, I'm my, my limit is four hours a day. Right. I did six and a half hours. I spent an hour and 32 minutes in messages, texting, like wow. an hour and 30 minutes. But 109 times I picked up my phone. That's a problem. Like that's, that's, I have an issue. And I was right. like, and I saw that number. I was like, and you know how much time I actually spent on emails? Cause it tells me 25 <laughs> minutes. I spent 25 minutes. And here I was like, I'm working on emails today. No, no, you weren't. You did 25 minutes of emails and the rest of the day you got distracted. You got pulled into things that didn't serve your core purpose. And it pulled you away from like what was important. And that, that's frustrating for me. It was it was frustrating, but also a good lesson. So, I mean, we got to pay attention to this stuff. We all assume we know what we're like, we're doing with our time and with our capacity. But when burnout happens, you get real good at noticing where you've gotten it wrong. And, and I, I think I'm, I think I've got some stuff to work on. <laughs> right. You, I totally agree with you on that because with the new update, even when I realized I am not a fan of WhatsApp and it was like, oh, yesterday I was on WhatsApp for two hours. I was like, who the heck was I talking to on WhatsApp for that long? <laughs> but, but being able to yeah. actually track the things yeah. because where we focus our time shows what's a priority to us, regardless of what we say is a priority. Yes. And being able to recognize the areas that we need to improve on. You and I are, are entrepreneurs. You know, we mm -hmm. make money from being online. So yes, yeah. we may spend more time online than other people, but it's also recognizing within that, like, is it purposeful time? Are we, mm -hmm. you know, wasting time or are we investing time? Uh, and how can we improve on that? And if we don't have those analytics to realize what we're actually doing, then we're not able to measure our own progress and evolution. A hundred percent. And I think that's what I really recognize as well as I couldn't decipher in that six hours and 12 minutes that I had spent on Instagram yesterday. I couldn't decipher how much that was work and how much that was like my actual intentional time and what was just enjoyment. What was just me being entertained by social media, which is, you know, what a lot of it is for. I can't decipher that. So it's really, again, the the personal brand versus personal is a really hard line to draw and to figure out for yourself. Cause even if you went on just to enjoy it, just mm -hmm. to enjoy what social media has to offer, you're definitely getting DMS and different things are coming in and you're seeing different met. Like it's so easy to get pulled back right into your work. So creating, like, I think for me, um, one thing I've been doing a lot more intentionally is reading fiction novels, not self-help. Like I love a good self-help, but I take a break from the self-help and I go right to a fiction because it's the only thing that takes me and removes me from everything else that in animal crossing on my Nintendo switch, but like <laughs> doing things that actually remove me from my phone and remove me from my own bubble of reality and mm. takes me into something else. So just take me, 
just take me somewhere else and bring me focus somewhere else. And I found that reading at bedtime instead of having my phone on me has actually helped me fall asleep faster. If I wake Mm -hmm. up in the night, which happens to me a lot, if I pick up my book, I'm probably back to sleep within 10 minutes. If I pick up my phone, it might be two hours. So these are things to pay attention to. We're awakening our, you know, our business platforms the second we pick up our phone. So unless we're going to have two phones, which I'm not going to do anytime, um, (laughs) we're going to have to be real clear on those boundaries for ourselves. And I think while these metrics are kind of scary and kind of shameful to step into looking at, it's also going to be really important for us to kind of recognize how much we're actually being addicted to these platforms and, and understanding that we're, we're struggling creating a differentiating um, factor from, sorry, like just, just creating a boundary between personal life and business life. And Mm -hmm. it's almost impossible. So like, we are the only ones that can define that. Absolutely. The the results are in the routine. So, you know, you spoke to, you know, your evening routine of no longer, you know, doing things on your phone because that could, you know, take forever or whatever, you know, you reading, um, you taking the time to even give your mind a break and step away from personal development or what's happening in your own life and, you know, doing stuff on your Nintendo switch. Like it's, yeah, it's all within the routine. And (laughs) although, like you said, those analytics uh, can be scary on our our cell phones to let us know what we're spending time on. Like I have a gratitude journal and at the end of the day, you know, you write down like what you wasted time on today and what you're going to improve on tomorrow. But now I just go into my iPhone and swipe and I'm like, okay, so I wasted time today on Instagram. And what's (laughs) like, it's so much easier for me to track what I need to work on. Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. And I think that we should be proud of like paying attention. And I think awareness is so important. And sometimes it has to be like delivered to us in a metric. And sometimes it's just like paying attention. Like when we're on social media and we feel crappy about ourselves, really taking time to like pay attention to what was it that made me feel crappy? Why do I have this social media hangover? And that self-awareness isn't meant to just fill us with shame and fill us with more work and fill us with like how we're failing. It's meant to show us who we are. It's meant to show us what's going on. And I think we're really good at kind of closing ourselves off from a lot of our own thoughts and a lot of our own behaviors and just, just to kind of believe the lie of, of what's reality. And so I've been trying to lean into the other side of it. I, I spent a week, two weeks ago, making a decision that I was going to post what I wanted, no matter how good or bad the metrics were or how good the right. insights were in terms of performance. I wasn't going to look at my follower count. I wasn't going to look at all of these different things. And I found by the end of the week, I felt very similar to how I did when I stopped using a scale at home. I no longer had my mood defined in the morning based on what a number was. I no longer felt good or bad about what I posted or anxious about it based on if it didn't perform well, because I felt good about it. And these were, it was a really, really important, like I called it just a social media breather because that's exactly how it felt. Like what if I went back to not using it as like, what if it was, it wasn't a business and I just used it the way I I wanted to. What if I just posted pictures of my dog because I liked it? What if I put my phone down and like did nothing for three hours? Like would I be able to do that without feeling like I was, I was missing something or, or losing out. And it was just, and the, but the biggest thing was that I wasn't looking at my engagement numbers anymore Mm -hmm. and how I actually felt so free 
from that. And, and I also noticed within the first day, because I had been challenging myself not to do it, that what I'd been doing was waking up every day. And I only noticed it on the first day because I went to go do it and caught myself. But I woke up every day. And the first thing I did was go and look at my follower account. Like, mm. why? What was the point in that? Like, I, I don't know. I don't know why that's happened. And I don't know why I because I've never been somebody who like did it for the follows. Like that's not really my MO. That's not really something that I've ever aligned with yet. It was part of my daily practice. So I was like, wow, I've always been somebody who talks about inner validation and not external validation and, and doing stuff regardless of how you're received for it. And then all of a sudden, the first thing I do in the morning is look at what my follower count was like, I couldn't believe that was my own behavior, that it was actually so contradictory to like my belief system. So shedding that was really important. And it was, it made me feel anxious at first. It made me feel worried at first. And I had to pay attention to that. And then from there, it was like, oh, I actually like my mood doesn't feel so defined by this number. And then by the end of the week, I was like, gosh, that was refreshing. Like that was nice. (laughs) Wow. And then when I talked about it, people were like, I only thought I experienced that because I had a low follower count. I never thought that people with a high follower count would still, you know, go through mm-hmm. that. And I'm like, no, no, it's so real for everybody because we all have a form of destination addiction where we all think that there's happiness somewhere else. And even if it's not in our surface conscious, it's so subconscious sometimes where we're constantly looking at what's next and like what's going to happen and what's on the horizon, as opposed to appreciating what was going on right now. And what I recognize is after 12 years of building a platform, you know, I had 1.6 million followers. So I'm like, why do I need, why am I worried if I'm gaining 500 today when I have literally so many people here that have joined me and that have, that have been a part of this and connected. And yet I'm still chasing people who aren't them. Like I just, I, I almost had to put it into perspective for myself. Like I, it wasn't just about validation. It was about the fact that I, I wasn't here serving my community. I was serving strangers. I was serving people who hadn't even come alongside me yet mm-hmm. and uh, really had to wake up to why I wanted the followers and why that was, why that was kind of creating a defining moment in me. And, and I talked to some other people in other industries, you know, people who have won awards in their jobs before. And it's like, how did you feel after that? And they were like, well, such a high when it happened, such an honor, but then you always feel like, if I don't get that award next year, am I not mm. as good? And musicians I talked to and said, like, what do you do after you have a hit song? Do you feel satisfied in your career? Nobody says yes. Everyone's like, no, just worried about when I'm going to do the next hit song. Like, right. it's always about what's next. And it's it's so we work so hard to live our dreams. And then we don't even get to just sit with them and enjoy them and relish in them because the dream just expands and expands and expands and our destinations become further and further away from us as we just continue to chase a different destination. So that's been like, as much as we talked about all these metrics and everything, it's, we can break it down to the day by day and the 109 times I picked up my phone, but I, (laughs) I have definitely, when we talk about capacity and boundaries, I have some work to do. So I'm not, I'm, and I love that. I'm not, I love coming in and being like, I'm just a human being who's still figuring it out. And just as, you know, full of mistakes and full of, you know, humbling experiences, like being somebody who talks about confidence and also feels like crap when somebody unfollows them. (laughs) Like that's reality. (laughs) Right. I mean, there's, there's balance in all things. Right. But I think it's so beautiful that you've come to that place of awareness to even 
understand your own behaviors and to be in a place of gratitude so that you can be present and you're not hyper-focused on the next thing or whatever is to come, but you're in a place of gratitude for your current community, your current connections, your cur- yeah. your current headspace. And those things are so important. We are such, I'm going to say consumers, but people who consume a lot, we consume a lot of content online. We consume, you know, things on TV and what we read and all these things, but everything that we consume, that's what we're feeding our mind, body, and soul. And yes. as much as, and I know, you know, as someone who is a body positive activist, you probably consider a lot of the things that you consume for, you know, what you eat, what you, you what you ingest, but everything that we do or see, you know, online or wherever else, that consumption, a lot of people don't think as hard about those things and yeah. don't pay attention to what it's feeding their spirit and their mind and how it makes them feel. So you waking up and having that awareness of, you know, why am I checking my follower account? You know, mm-hmm. I'm in a place of gratitude for the people who were standing alongside me. Like all of those things can only bring you more joy and more happiness and more positive emotions. Like there's so many positives to just practicing gratitude in general, but you being in that space of awareness and being open enough to say, as someone that has a million plus following, these are some of the things that I still struggle with because none of us are perfect. And perfection is, perfection in my opinion is very toxic, but Mm -hmm. you being open enough to share the things that you are becoming aware of within yourself and that you need to work on. Like I just, I love to follow people like yourself that are transparent about your journeys because you're not trying to say, you know, look at me, my life is perfect. It's unattainable. You can, you know, whatever you are bringing people along the journey with you and Mm -hmm. giving people permission to feel and do the things that they within themselves didn't think was possible or that they too could do, or they feel that, you know, you wouldn't be able to relate because of where you are in life. Like, your realness inspires me. And that's why I follow you. I I so appreciate that. And and to be honest, the reason I even Googled how to start a blog 12 years ago was because I was in the pits of motherhood and I was lonely. And suddenly this blogosphere started to exist. And I started reading stories of other women who had lives like me, who were at home with kids in the weeds of life. And, you know, I, I suddenly felt connected and, and it, in that form of human connection, I didn't realize how good it was for me. And then I started chasing somewhere along the way. I kind of got lost, lost the kind of drive to just be human connected. And I wanted to just be accepted. I just wanted to look apart, be apart. And, and that didn't serve me. So when I eventually came back into being who I inherently am and showing up as that person online, what happened was I just got more genuine human connection. And it reminded me about why I did this in the first place. Like what drove me to do this was to relate to other human beings and kind of shed the shame, like secrets, secrets kind of thrive in the dark, right? Like that's how shame works. And I understand that the, a lot of the things that I really struggled with is because they existed in dark spaces in my own world, whether it was my body, whether it was my marriage failing, whether it was my finances, like these were things that, you know, you carry shame for. And then being able to talk about them and know that these were such normal things for so many of us and that I was never alone. 
I mean, if I can just do that for one other human being, then it makes it all worth it. Because Mm -hmm. when I was absolutely alone and living, you know, six hours away from all my support systems at home with three kids, struggling with my body, struggling with my food, like habits, struggling with literally everything, every aspect of where I was, it was these strangers online that kept me feeling like I had a purpose and Mm. kept me feeling like there was more to it than just being you know, a mom. And um, even if a lot of the content that we consumed was around motherhood, it still made it relatable. It made it real. It made me feel included in something as opposed to just discarded and left at home um, to struggle. So that was originally my why. And I'm really glad that I came back to it. I love it. You, you know, you spoke to the shame of how you were feeling. And Dr. Brene Brown has this quote that says, shame loves secrecy. And I am one of those people who truly believe in shedding light on, you know, a lot of the the things that I experienced that other people would be ashamed to say out loud. And yeah. in that, which you have done as well, is you create this community where you mm-hmm. no longer feel alone. You know, it's social mm-hmm. proofing where mm-hmm. together, even as you walk through the process of healing, you're not healing alone. Right. Um, you're inspiring people as you go along. So I'd love to know what inspires you the most about what you do. I think just realizing how similar we all inherently are. And I think when we talk about shame, I love this quote that once you tell a secret, it loses its power. And I think I feel that the same way about stuff. I mean, just today I shared about a little joke about like fem- like vaginal discharge. And mm-hmm. I was dying over the fact that people were like, oh my gosh, this is what plagues me. Like, of nobody, we don't see each other's underwear. So we don't mm-hmm. know that what's real and what's not. We don't understand what's normal and what's not. When it came to when I had children and I had, you know, stretch marks up to my rib cage, that was nowhere represented in media. I had no idea that women like me existed until I went and modeled for an underwear brand. They posted my photo and I got to read the responses to that photo that said, oh my gosh, I didn't know that other women with stretch marks like this existed. That was three Mm. years ago. Now I open my Instagram feed and it's full of women like exploring their stretch marks, exploring what it means, respecting them. I don't think any of us show up and are like, I love my stretch marks. They're the most beautiful thing in the world. Like, no, like (laughs) I'm not there. I'm not going to lie about it. But like (laughs) I respect the hell out of them and I can Mm. see how cool the skin on the body is and how neat these, you know, really normal things. But then recognizing that for 10 years, something as simple as stretch marks actually ripped intimacy from my life, ripped memories from my life, like held me back from so many things because it felt like a secret that was holding so much power over me. And so when it comes to what I love about what I do now is when I meet this, when I meet a woman on the streets and her eyes fill with tears and she goes, I went to the beach. Like I did it. I I went Mm. and I went with my kids and it wasn't as scary as I thought. And we had such a great time. And like, thank you. I feel like I'm stepping back into my life again. That's what it's about because I was the person who stayed at home for 10 years. And when I say stayed at home, I don't mean like I was just stuck at home with three kids. I mean, I actively made choices to not participate in my own life because of the way I looked, because I felt like I wasn't good enough, because I struggled with mental health, all of these different things that were valid, but I never explored 
working through or showing up despite having these things. Right. So I'm not going to, I'm not going to talk to people and say like, it, you got to go to the beach and like serve that, that beach, your bikini body. Like, absolutely. If you want to go wear a bikini for the first time and feel so liberated in that, please have at it, go have the best day of your life. But if you want to cover up completely and wear like a full muumu and a massive hat and slather yourself in sunscreen and a full like shoe and you go to the beach and that's how you feel the most comfortable. Thank you for showing up. Like just mm-hmm. how can we just, how can we get past what it is that we look like? And even like in those struggles and work even past that to like, how do we just start showing up and existing in our own lives? Because like, not to bring the whole YOLO into it, but like, <laughs> we really only have one shot at this life. So mm-hmm. how much is shame holding us back? How many things are we really struggling with in the dark corners of our world? How much have we missed out on? And if we could recognize that these are our shots at memory making and not so much at just like, you know, how are we going to be judged or perceived and all this stuff? It's just really taking it all back. And, and for me, I just love, it's not even just about the body. It's sometimes about relationships, sometimes about motherhood, sometimes about all, like whatever it is. I just love peeling back the layers of our own humanity and just get real about it because I think we're so, we're so used to just sitting at the surface with stuff and not exploring the deep roots of it. Like when you're struggling with food, when you're struggling in relationships, when you're struggling with all these things, we don't take ourselves deep enough to recognize why to actually unearth some of these deep roots that, that live within us and then be able to like sow new seeds and like plant new plants and, and grow new narratives. And, and, but we have to like unlearn in order to like relearn, like it doesn't Mm -hmm. just happen. You got to go back and you got to unearth it. So I think that's my favorite. I think that's my, I'm not joking when I'm like, I love a deep dive because like, that's where I have found out the most about myself. And that's when I've been able to uproot things and to talk about them openly on social media, which is always like the scariest thing in the world. Cause you have, n- sometimes I write and I'm like, I have no idea if this even made sense, but I'm just going <laughs> to it. And then I put it up and everyone's like, oh my gosh, I could have written this myself. And I was like, see, even I questioned if this was like real and like, this mm-hmm. is going to like connect. And yet it almost always shows up and serves that way that we all, maybe, maybe not every single one of us, but so many of us are so connected by the human experience and to layer shame on top of that. I understand that not everybody needs to come on social media and share everything that's going on, but I'm a storyteller and I kind of always have been, and I, and I like doing that. And I, I think that I like kind of being that person for a lot of people where we can, if, if you need to use me as the example to make yourself feel less shame when it comes to your stretch marks and when it comes to, you know, your divorces or, or whatever it is, let's do that. Like I'm okay doing that. Cause I actually quite love it. And it's been such a healing journey for myself to do that. Wow. I mean, you spoke to so many things there just now. I don't even know where to start because, <laughs> oh, okay. So uh, let me, let me see if my brain can compute all this. Okay. At the end of the day, everyone is struggling with something. Nobody's life is perfect. Mm-hmm. And you are open about your struggles and the things that you experience. And I know that people are not always, uh, I'm going to say the most graceful because there are some mean people on the planet. But I was listening to, uh, I believe it was one of your podcast episodes where you spoke to 
watching your mom go through uh, endometriosis and fibromyalgia, mm-hmm. and, you know, mm-hmm. having a hysterectomy at 34. Mm-hmm. And you spoke to those being like invisible struggles. Mm-hmm. And I completely related to to that part because I have gone through my own struggles with having, you know, cysts in my uterus and fibromyalgia and having to have a hysterectomy last year. But a lot of those things were invisible. But then you visibly share your struggles with eating disorders and weight loss. Like, do you feel, I'm going to say as people when it comes to, because we know that people judge when they shouldn't, do you feel there's a difference in how, I guess, society addresses struggles? A hundred percent. I think, I think the, the easiest comparative is to show how serious society takes physical health versus mental health. We, right. we looked at it like we care so much about somebody's physical health that we'll actually judge it. We'll talk about it. We'll, we'll even like feel sad when we see somebody struggling with their health, but we don't give that same leverage to mental health, even if it's just as crippling, but it's often so much more invisible or people are really high functioning with it. With chronic illness, I would say the same thing. Chronic illness, people are so capable of often hiding that pain. I mean, I grew mm-hmm. up with a mom, like we said, um, she really, really struggled. And I, I witnessed it, but I witnessed it in the rare moments that she showed it. And, and that was like, she carried that for, I don't even know how long, well, she does still today. And it's so, it, it takes an intention. You know, when I saw this really cool graphic the other day and it said disability can look like this. And it showed somebody who was an amputee, somebody who's in a wheelchair, somebody who was like, I don't, there was just like a few different forms of like what disability looked like. And then it was like, and it also looks like this. And it was just somebody who was in like a straight body. And I was like, wow, that's so real and true because we, we oftentimes only validate what we can see and what we right. can actually tangibly perceive as real and true. And it can be hard for us to have, I don't know, almost have grace extended to those who have invisible illness or Mm -hmm. struggle in invisible ways and, or, or in ways that we feel aren't valid. So, um, for myself, I recently started talking about the fact that I was diagnosed with prenatal depression. So this is in pregnancy depression. It often leads to postpartum depression, Mm -hmm. but people were like, what if your daughter reads this one day? And I'm like, so like, I don't understand what you're, what you're saying. Like, I would love for my daughter to understand that this was a hard season for my life, but like, look at how we got through it. And we get so polarizing about the way we talk about things. And people were like, you should just be grateful that you're pregnant. I'm like, I don't know where I said that I wasn't grateful. Like Mm -hmm. I'm struggling with my mental health due to something that is outside of my control that has to do with brain function and stress and change. Like when I ended up talking to, um, you know, a doctor about it, they were like, Sarah, look at your life. Like you went through a divorce, you went through massive body changes. You went through huge swings of change. You did single motherhood. You changed jobs. You started your own business. You got remarried. You moved twice, three Mm -hmm. times in the last five years. They're like, do you understand that even the best of changes, your body would hundred percent, your body and your brain will reject at all costs. Like mm-hmm. you're in the middle of a pandemic on top of that. Like, do you, can you, can you grasp the fact that this doesn't make you a bad person? Doesn't make you ungrateful. Doesn't make you any of these things. And while other but people were still, I think I felt so invalidated. 
I, a lot of people did really actually relate to it as well, but there were enough people who were like, you should just be grateful. You should just be fine. Or like you look, it's the same as like with people chronic illness, well, you look fine. Like you look okay. Yep. What does that have to do with how my organs are functioning or how my like nerve system is, you know, with my mom, with, with fibro, it's so invisible. And when she would have a flare up, it was like her whole body was on fire and she looked fine. She looked fine. Mm-hmm. She wasn't fine. And so I think that we just need to be a lot better at not invalidating each other's experiences and for holding space for both. I fully hold space for those who struggle with infertility while also holding space for myself struggling with the fact that pregnancy has brought on a lot of difficulties for me. We can have both just like grief and joy can some, I love that there's this one quote that says in grief and joy dance together. And, Mm -hmm. and I feel that so much more and more and more as we go on is that it's really hard to celebrate and mourn. It's really hard to go through things and not feel invalidated because it could be worse. It could be better. Like there's all of these different things that we do to each other, but if we could just validate each other a little bit and trust each other and, and hold space for each other in our own individual journeys, I think we'll all be just so much better and so So much much less caught up and questioning people about their truths. Wow. That was so powerful. Like on, on so many different levels, I can totally understand and relate to your journey with the prenatal depression. Like I never openly talked about my postpartum depression with all three kids, you know, with your mom, like I was diagnosed with fibromyalgia back in 2006, but I was struggling for years and they were doing tests and couldn't find anything wrong. And it was almost like completely having your feelings invalidated by the doctor because he was like, well, you're perfectly healthy on paper and you're skin feels like it's on fire and you feel so lethargic you can't even get out of the bed like yeah and then at the same time as an entrepreneur I am I have to earn a living I'm a single mom with three kids so I'm going out and I'm still doing speaking engagements so I'm still doing certain things and not people not recognizing that that one hour that I'm out there on stage that is the only hour for the day that I have energy like they've (laughs) to even put makeup on before I left the house was a struggle and I was in bed for the next 24 hours after that and when I openly say like I am not okay. And people are like, yeah, but you look fine. Like, oh my God, you're smiling in your pictures. Like people Mm -hmm. are so disconnected from, I'm going to say, recognizing and acknowledging how people feel versus how they Mm -hmm. look. And it also puts, it puts people who struggle with chronic illness or disability or mental health as if they cannot also be successful, as if Mm -hmm. they cannot also achieve these things. When I said that, when I said I was struggling with um, prenatal depression, the next day I was talking about something I was working on and they were like, I'm sorry, but like you went from talking about being depressed to like working on this project, like, come on, this is so fake. And I was like, how invalidating is that, that we actually break people down to you're sick, you must be sick in bed. Like you're struggling Mm -hmm. to stay in that struggle. And it's so upsetting for those who need to understand and hear that you can have mental health issues and still be wildly successful. You can struggle with chronic illness and you still deserve success. Like you can be somebody who has all of these things working against you and you can still move forward. And, and I think that that's, that's something we need to talk about more. We need to recognize more and we need to uplift more people with, because there's a lot of people who feel like they can't actually go after their dreams because 
maybe their maybe their health isn't up for it or maybe their mental health isn't there for them or you know their disability is going to is too invisible for them to find success in this world and and that's just not the way and it's not the truth and while the journey is potentially and quite honestly harder it's not impossible and it's not um it's not undoable essentially right right absolutely there are different levels to depression and i think that okay so honestly Ignorance is lack of knowledge. So there Mm -hmm. are a lot of ignorant people online Mm -hmm. that will comment and say things because they don't know. So what you're feeling with your depression could be different than what I'm feeling with mine. But because we're both entrepreneurs, we're both moms, we both like have stuff that needs to be done. We can still be in a depressive state and function. There are people like I'm a highly functioning person with like, I have severe anxiety, but I'm Mm -hmm. high functioning. Mm -hmm. So people don't realize there's so many different levels and to judge somebody for the fact that they're actually trying to make progress and to move forward in something like I have no words for that. I have no no words for that anyway. Just holding space for each other. That's the words I just, I just repeat to myself, like not everybody's going to get it, but but we can we can make such strides just by setting examples for what that looks like, even with each other, right? And and just having that grace for each other on our own journeys and acknowledging others. So with all of those things, how do mm-hmm. you take care of Sarah? What does your self-care routine look like? It's different every day. Isn't that funny? I, I really don't have one thing. I do find though that for myself waking up and first I start the day by just leaving my phone. Like after I've kind of rolled out of bed two hours after I've actually functionally woken up, I leave my phone and I go and I actually, this is a huge hiccup for me because a lot of people challenge that I did this, but I love to go one-on-one with myself and I do like a face massage. I do, I like to do my serums and get ready. And I like to put on makeup and do my hair. And it's so funny because people are like, how is that self-loving when you're like just plastering things on top of that? I'm like, I don't know. But like, if I pay attention to who I am and what's working for me, this is such an intimate moment with me and myself. It's self-touch. I'm looking in my own eyes. I'm having inner conversation with myself. It's actually such a special time of day. And we, I was talking about this with my friend today. She was I'm a different person when I do these things. And I'm like, I think we oftentimes look at things and we say, because uh, I, I love using red lipstick as an example, let's say we put on red lipstick and we say, this is, you know, red lips make red lips make me feel so confident and so capable and like bold instead of saying I'm capable, I'm bold and I'm confident. And this red lipstick really reflects that today. Mm-hmm. We have to shift the ownership and the credit where it kind of works. So for me, self-care looks really different, but hugely for me is like, yeah, just that, that little bit of time in the morning where I kind of have that self-care same at the end of the day, when I take it all off, I actually love that moment. It's like I strip down the day. I love washing my face at the end. Like I love just taking it off and awareness, self-awareness. Cause every day my, my love and intention for myself looks so different. Just like I would say every other relationship in my life, if my relationship with my mom sometimes served itself by me taking her out for a cup of coffee, 
I don't think that me taking her out for a cup of coffee five times a day, every single day would continue to serve itself that same way. So it's not the repetitiveness for me. It's actually just paying attention, being aware and listening enough to act in love, knowing that self-love for me is not an act of pursuing a feeling and an emotion around it. I'm not chasing those butterflies and, you know, this, oh my gosh, like, love you so much. You look so good today. No, like it's actually showing up and acting in love, like love is an action and doing that every single day with intention by paying attention to my own needs, by creating boundaries, by listening to my own capacity and honoring the hell out of that. And just that's what I've been doing uh, for the last couple of years. And I think it's what's served me the most. Whenever I kind of burn out and I break down, I realize it's because I've been rejecting what I've been listening to in my own mind, I've been creating bad influences for myself. And I've just I've just been slipping on listening to me and what my needs are. So that's where I'm at. And and I feel like when we talk about self love, it's important to say how different it is for everybody and how that journey gets, you know, I could talk about how red lipstick makes me feel amazing. And for other people, they'd be like, I feel not myself like this feels foreign and weird. And I don't like it then you shouldn't be wearing the red lipstick. Like that's right. a, that's fighting against what works for you. I use lipsticks. It's like the easiest thing to kind of like the fluffiest of things <laughs> to kind of talk about. But yeah, just like really those, those types of intentionalities around just paying attention, just paying attention. If we just paid attention, what would, what, how much would change? I love that you speak to paying attention to yourself because like you said, with, self-care, self-love, it is about what works for yourself. You know, your self-care routine may not work for me. You know, your, your, even your facial products that you use on your face, like we have different types of skin. So, you know, what you mm-hmm. use mm-hmm. wouldn't work for mm-hmm. me, but it's the importance of paying attention to ourselves. And I think oftentimes people will look at, say, someone in your position and want to know exactly what it is that you're doing so they can do the exact same things. But yeah. when it comes to self-care, I, I'm like yourself where it's, it's important to pay attention and to do what works for you. When you, spoke about, when you spoke about what you do in the morning, like your routine with your, you know, your self-facials and face massages and stuff, it triggered my thoughts about my daughter, my 19-year-old. She is also a social media influencer, like her combined between TikTok and Instagram. She's almost at a million. Oh, wow. Um, but her self-care routine is doing her makeup. You know, yeah. when she's feeling severely depressed and anxious, she locks herself in the bathroom and she does her makeup. That makes her feel good. And the doctor's like, that's her coping mechanism. Encourage that. So as much as I may not like to, you know, spend all this money on makeup, it's helping her to feel better about mm-hmm. herself. Mm-hmm. You know, people mm-hmm. will nitpick about because it doesn't work for them. Yeah, you know, how it can be for other people, but it's not up to us to impose our beliefs or or anything on anybody yeah. else. And I just love how you pay attention to yeah. your body and yourself and do what makes you happy, what brings you joy. And own that, own that choice. Like we fight so hard for making choices for ourselves. And then we break down other women by making choices that aren't the same as ours. And mm-hmm. it, yeah, I, I read this quote really long time ago that said, um, you'll never agree with how people choose to spend their time and their money. And every single time I feel judgment creep up inside of me about somebody, I always realize I'm I'm judging how they spent their time or how they spent mm-hmm. their money. And it's mm-hmm. none of my business. And it's none of my right. business. 
it's their choice. That is so powerful. Mm-hmm. I mean, on on that note, I totally want to respect your time. And as much as I had questions come in from your community, came over to my page to to well, I am but. here. We can do it again anytime. You are awesome. such a delight. Thank you so much for this interview. I this is like you have like a peaceful voice. I feel like I just had like a Thank really you. nice. So I should have done yoga or something. You got like a voice for it. <laughs> Thank you. I appreciate that. Thank Thank you you so much, Sarah. Thank you. Tell the people where they could stay connected with you online. Yeah. Um, So pretty much my wheelhouse is at the birds of Paya on Instagram. I, like I said, I love to be a storyteller. So I'm huge in my stories all the time and I will either make you laugh or I'll make you cry. There's really nothing in the middle. (laughs) So um, that's, that's kind of me in a nutshell. You can also visit at the But yeah, if you come to the birds on Instagram, you're just going to see me there and we're going to hang out and hopefully we connect and, and uh, find some commonalities and maybe even some differences that we can create spaces for each other with. Thank you so, so much, Sarah, for taking this time to just even share your story with us. I truly appreciate you. I've been so <laughs> excited and waiting to do this interview and have this conversation. So yeah, we've had so books much. forever. It's so nice <laughs> to finally have it happen. So thank you so much. And thank you to everyone who listened as well. Awesome. And to all you faith walkers out there, until next time, subscribe on all platforms and rate the show and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. And you can join the community of faith walkers and sign up for our weekly newsletter at awalkinmystilettos.com. And be sure to grab one of my personal development books available online everywhere. And if you could think of one person that would receive value from hearing Sarah's testimony today, please share it with them. Feel free to screenshot this week's episode and tag us on Instagram. You can tag Sarah at the Bird Papaya and you can tag myself at the Real Makini Smith and continue to walk in greatness in your stilettos in a manner worthy of your calling. <laughs>